We're going to do Revelation 7, 11 through 8, 6 today. So let's read together, beginning in uh, verse 11 of chapter 7. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessed and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And now when we get to chapter 8, then we'll read through those verses, but let's pray. Father God, once again we are thankful, grateful for your word, for giving to us guidance, wisdom from above, really a blueprint for living, to guide us through this life and on into eternity. We ask now, Father, that you would bless this time of study in your word. Lord, help us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to become even better prepared and equipped for the days ahead and then leading on into eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this section that we're entering now is in response to the, what we saw at the beginning of chapter 7, the introduction and the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And as a result of their ministry, there's a great celebration in heaven. So verse 11, all the angels stood around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Luke 15.10 tells us, Jesus speaking, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now think about that. I don't know how this lines up statistically, but my suspicion is there's probably someone somewhere on this planet receiving Christ just about every second of every day, wouldn't you think? Maybe that's overly optimistic. I don't know. But when you have seven and a half billion people on the planet, and we know the Spirit of God is moving throughout the earth, and He has His people everywhere, does He not? That somewhere there's probably somebody getting saved right now. And every time that happens, there's a celebration in heaven. Notice here, in their act of worship before the throne, seven different aspects of the angels' praise. And the elders, the four living creatures, everybody there is engaged in this. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might be to our God. Seven things there. 
And so these are good things for us to take note of. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, right? And so when we come before God, we should come before Him, no matter what our needs, desires, concerns might be, we're encouraged in the Scriptures to always come before Him with thanksgiving. And regardless of what's going on in our lives, we always have things to be thankful for, do we not? Just the fact that we are here. I've shared this with you guys more than once, that I have thanked God on a number of occasions just for bringing me into this world so that I would have the opportunity to know Him and to be part of His forever family. So even if your finances are in the toilet, you know, your relationships are down and out and so forth, no matter what's going on, we still always have things we can be thankful for, and it's important to approach God with thankfulness and to acknowledge Him for all that He is and all that He does. And so we see seven things here. Blessing. We can actually bless God. Did you know that? He blesses us every day, but... David wrote in the Psalms, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Blessing. Glory. To God be the glory. Amen? It's, a, it's one of the natural tendencies of the fallen human nature to seek glory for oneself. But the Bible tells us God won't share his glory with anyone. And so... We need to make sure that he's given the glory. Wisdom. He is the true source of all true wisdom. Thanksgiving. Again, always approaching him with thanksgiving in our hearts. Honor, honoring him. And these are also connected to this idea that we see in the scriptures over and over again, the fear of the Lord. Again, it's not a, a, a dark fear. It's not a loathsome fear that we fear he's going to do harm to us, to hurt us. It's an honor. It's a respect. It's to be in awe of who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. Power. He is the ultimate power in the universe and might be to our God. So just some good ideas there from this heavenly gathering as they're celebrating the salvation of these souls, and we'll get, a, we'll get a little flashback in a moment on who they are, because one of these 24 elders says to John, verse 13, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? As we'll see in the next verse, this is a rhetorical question, if you will. And by the way, this arraignment of the white robes. It's the same garments that we see the 24 elders are dressed in back in Revelation 4.4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And we've talked about this. Who are these guys? Well, we know that we have the 12 apostles of the New Testament. We have 12 Old Testament patriarchs. It's quite possible that's who's represented here. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So this is the garment of choice for those who dwell in the presence of the Most High God, the white robes. I suspect quite comfortable. 
every time I wear a white shirt, <laughs> now one problem is you see everything, right? A dark shirt like this, you can get away with more. But I've got a couple of shirts that I love to wear, but it, it never fails. And it's usually like the last bite of the meal. You're sitting there, you're doing good, you're kind of watching out, and all of a sudden, you know, a little bit of spaghetti sauce squirts up onto your shirt, or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? The good news is, when we're there with the Lord in our white robes, we don't ever have to worry about it again. Sometimes I look in that closet, and I want to wear that shirt, and I think, no, better not. Never fails. Won't be a problem in God's eternal kingdom. And so John says to this elder in verse 14, Sir, you know, John's basically saying, I don't know, why are you asking me? You know who they are. So he, the elder, said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's interesting. You can take the blood of the lamb and use it to make your robes white. The blood of Christ. I've shared with you guys how the older I get and the longer I walk with the Lord, the more broken I am before him, the more how aware of my sinfulness I am. And I find that that's true with many uh, great men and women of God that I've admired over the years, read their books and so forth and followed their their lives, their life stories, their ministries. The true mark of spiritual maturity is not that you get to the place where you think you finally arrived and you're perfect. The true mark of spiritual maturity is the longer you walk with God, the more you realize how desperately you need Him and His salvation. And so, rather than praying a generic prayer like I maybe perhaps prayed once upon a time, Father, please forgive me for my sins. I pray, Father, please wash me with the precious blood of Christ because that's what does the job. That's what does the trick. So he said to me, these are those who come out of the great tribulation. As described back in verse 9 that we looked at last week, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, not down on the earth, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. Just like on Palm Sunday, that was a symbol of victory. Victory. They would do that for kings coming home who had been victorious in battle. They would gather along the streets and wave their palm branches. They did that for Jesus on Palm Sunday. Now we see them doing that before the throne in heaven. But who are these people? They are the ones that come to Christ through the ministry of the 144,000. And then as we know, anyone who becomes a believer in the tribulation, the vast majority will be martyred. They will be beheaded for their faith. And that's why right after we see the calling and the sealing of the 144,000, we see this large gathering, this great multitude Standing before the throne, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, clothed with white robes. They've been martyred. They've been saved through the ministry of the 144,000. They've been martyred, and now they're before the throne of God, and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
as promised and foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 1.18, God says to us through the prophet Isaiah, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. That alone amazes me that God, the creator of all things, would even condescend to reason with you and I. Isn't that amazing? I mean, for the most part, we human beings are pretty unreasonable. And yet God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so this is a prophecy, a promise from Isaiah. We see fulfilled here in the book of Revelation with all of these martyrs standing before the throne of God dressed in their white robes. And so as I mentioned already, these apparently are the ones who come to Christ through the ministry of the 144,000. They are saved and then ultimately martyred. We read about them again in chapter 20, verse 4 of Revelation. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls. of the, So this first group, I believe, are the ones who are, we would be among this group, those who are raptured, believers that have already received Christ, accepted Christ, walked with Christ, who are then blessed by being raptured out, or those who have gone on before, who have passed away and are now with the Lord. I saw thrones, they sat on them, judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. So these are the tribulation martyrs again. And for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his name and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So, just as Jesus promised to all who believe in him, Luke 23, 42 and 43, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, this is the thief on the cross, of course, the one who believed. One mocked Jesus, but another one said this, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's faith. He didn't say, if you come into your kingdom, right? Think of the, the amount of faith that God had imparted to this man. They're both hanging there dying on the cross. All three, I should say, the two criminals and Jesus. And yet, as he sees Jesus hanging there, about to breathe his last, blood draining from his body, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so this is the age-old question that people ask. What happens to me when I die? Well, if you're a believer, if you have received the Son of God as your Lord and Savior, I can guarantee you the moment your spirit leaves your physical body, you're with, with Him in heaven. And that's where these martyrs are now. And that's why if we truly possess a saving faith, I don't know, I think I came up with that term. I'm sure I'm not the only one, I'd may, but I don't remember reading it or hearing it anywhere else. Maybe I did, but for many years now, I've had this concept, which I believe is a biblical concept, that there is such a thing as a saving faith. A true faith 
By the way, which comes from God, did you know that? You don't have it inside of you. That's another thing. I pray regularly for my loved ones. God give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance because you've got to have those if you're going to come into possession of a saving faith. Lots of people have faith in a lot of different things, don't they? But a saving faith is one that results in a true conversion, that you are truly born again. And then the result of that, the evidence of that is the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, do we all possess those all the time in abundance? I know I don't. But I'm seeking after that. I'm praying for that. I'm desiring that fruit of the Spirit to emanate from me. But I was, I was just talking with John Kinzer in the back. Just briefly, he, he brought it up, not me. <laughs> the current political climate. And just what's happening in our country. The hard push already now. The new president has called for a cessation of the building of the border wall. You know that, right? He's calling for amnesty and eventual citizenship for at least 11 million illegal aliens. A 100-day moratorium on any deportations. I mean, but even worse, an all-out push for unlimited abortion at any stage of pregnancy, and not just in America, but he wants to go back to funding abortions all over the world with our taxpayer dollars. I told you. I mean, you, I'm sure you probably knew what was coming too. But what I said to John was, I can't even fathom the demented, twisted heart and mind of someone who hates pro-life and loves pro-death. It is absolutely satanic. And that's where we are. The good news is our side wins. But it'll be in God's timing. We'd like to win right now, wouldn't we? But you know what's better than winning right now? Winning for all eternity. And that's what's going to happen. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So again, confirm, confirmation here from the Apostle Paul. He says he's confident. He knows where he's going. And he would actually prefer to be absent from this physical body and to be present with the Lord. And he's, he also tells us in this statement that that's exactly what happens. The minute you leave this body, this vehicle, you go to be in the presence of God. Therefore, we should have, have absolutely no fear of physical death, right? But we struggle with it. I'm, we all do. It's, it's not an easy transition. Maybe Sometimes, if you're lucky enough to drop dead, <laughs> it's a pretty easy transition. But we know for a lot of people it doesn't work that way. Some people 
die in their sleep. Wow, that, we all pray for that, right? But it's not that simple. And people struggle with this. Why does God allow people to suffer the way he does? I don't have all the answers, but I'll tell you one thing I believe. That in the suffering and the struggles that lead up to our physical death, it makes us all the more mindful of how incredible God's love is and what he's done for us and what the curse of sin will do to you and why we need a Savior. And it also helps us to begin to fall out of, fall out of love with the things of this world and this life. As we get older, our bodies begin to not work as well as they used to. You know, in your youth, you can do anything you want, go anywhere you want, be anything you want. As you get older and older and older, you begin to fall out of love with this world, and that's exactly what God wants to happen. Okay, they're going to serve him day and night in his temple. So while the tribulation turmoil continues on the earth, all the things we've already begun to see and all the things that we will see, the horrible things happening on this planet, the tribulation martyrs, along with the rest of the saints in heaven, the angels, will have the full-time occupation of worshiping before the throne of God. And since we will no longer be dwelling within the realm of space and time, I guarantee you we won't get bored, burned out, weary, tired of worshiping God. It'll be just a continual state of bliss. And then, when we come back with him at the end of the tribulation, then we're going to have some work to do. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. So this is like a honeymoon with God in heaven. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Again, this is the fulfillment of God's promise through the ages. Right now, he dwells among us in our hearts, our minds, the Spirit of God, but we are not literally in, the, in His presence like we will be then. We will be there with Him and never again will we be separated from Him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, God walked with Adam in the garden. And so this is that fulfillment that He will dwell in our midst. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. No more separation. Jesus had to come. Because man was separated from God by our sin. And so he became this distant entity that mankind, humanity, had a hard time relating to. Again, there were, have always been those who have believed, those of faith. But the intimate relationship that we now have with God through Jesus Christ did not exist prior to the coming of Christ and the new covenant. So we're moving incrementally back to where we started. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God there with them, no separation. And we see the fulfillment of that here. Verse 16, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. And we see the ultimate fulfillment of this even after the millennial kingdom as we move on into eternity. Revelation 22, 5, there shall be no Night there. This is the new Jerusalem where we will live forever with God. No night. Now, somebody mentioned to me before the service, you, oh, I think it was Pastor Ed, 
We were talking about when I had my uh, health crisis about 11 years ago, my heart attack, and he's still trying to fully recover from his COVID experience. Please keep him in your prayers. He's here at the school every day working, but uh, he's still struggling to get back to normal. And I told him it, it took me about eight months to get back to normal after my heart attack. But I've always been, as Ed pointed out, yeah, and you're kind of a guy who likes to be going all the time, energetic, and that was a struggle, not having that energy like you normally do. But I've always kind of felt like sleep was a waste of time, something you got to do. There's a lot of other things I'd rather be doing, but there won't be any darkness there. There won't be any night there. I don't think we're going to be sleeping. We won't need it. Does that sound great? I know some people really love sleep. And I probably like it more now than I used to. <laughs> Another part of getting older, I guess. I don't know. They say old people tend to sleep less. That hasn't been the case for me. but <laughs> Or my wife, for that matter. But no dark, no night. They need no lamp nor light of the sun... And another phenomenon we've seen, it seems like it's been increasing. You know, they talk about potentially the breakdown of the ozone layer and so forth. It seems like we hear a lot more about skin cancer. I don't know if it's really increased over what it had been in years past. But that's an issue for a lot of people. Again, as you get older, you're more likely to have some type of skin cancer. That's not going to happen in God's eternal kingdom no sun, you don't need a lamp. Now, we do have these LED bulbs. They last a lot longer. Thank God. I used to put those bug bulbs on my front porch and my back porch. You ever use the yellow bug bulbs? Did they bug you? No. But they never lasted very long. Was it just my place or did you have the same? They seemed to burn out really quick. You're always replacing them. So I gave up, started using the white bulbs, and then they started burning out. Now i got the LED bulbs. They never seem to burn out. Not these squirrely screw bulbs. Those are horrible. You notice they're being phased out. But with none of this will be an issue. You ever get in a situation where, wow, I, I need a flashlight. It's really, the power went out. It's dark in here. You get the flashlight, lo and behold, the batteries are dead. Right? Or it's working, but then as you're going through, it just fades out. It's gone. No problem in God's eternal kingdom because He will be the source of our light. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Does that sound amazing or what? The Bible said God dwells in unapproachable light, but guess what? Once we have received our perfected, eternal, glorified, immortal, imperishable bodies, we will be able to approach His, His light. We will be able to live in His presence. And that's what it's going to be like in God's eternal kingdom. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Now what's happening down below in the tribulation? All of those things. We're going to see more as we go along. Famine, hunger, uh, scorching heat. And so even though these folks have been martyred, you might say, oh man, how sad, how terrible they got beheaded. No, they're with God in paradise. The people on the earth will be suffering immensely through famine, hunger, heat, burning heat of the sun. 
Verse 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, just like he promised. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John 10, 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling, and these are, see, God has appointed men on the earth to be under shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd, but we have under shepherds, pastors, leaders in the church who have the same responsibility as Jesus to protect the flock, to watch over the flock. But the hireling, the one who's just in it for the money, the one who just sees it as another vocation, the one who's first and foremost. And we see this more and more in every segment of our society. I've experienced it in my dealings with the medical community, the legal community, you name it, and even in the ministry, that the number one priority for most people in these, all these professional fields, if you will, is to cover their own tails. Their number one concern is to protect themselves. That's not a true shepherd. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Not going to dare to speak out for the truth, to speak out against evil, corruption. And I've seen so many different independent podcasts, newscasts, people who are trying to stand up for what is right and what is true, and they've been critical of the church and of pastors because the vast percentage of them are not willing to go out on a limb and say anything that's going to possibly get them in trouble or offend anyone. That's not the role model of Jesus and the apostles, is it? That's not the role model of great men of the pulpit in times past who, regardless of the consequences, spoke out for the truth. Yeah, in some cases it cost them their lives. They were martyred. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep and lead them to living fountains of waters. And so again, we see the fulfillment here in Revelation 7, 17. Revelation 22, 1, He showed me a river of pure water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Yes, the tree of life from the Garden of Eden is alive and well, and it'll be there in the new Jerusalem, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now we move into chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 here. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. 
So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So the opening of the seventh seal, we've been looking at these seal judgments, if you will, the first series of judgments. The opening of the seventh seal brings forth the next series of judgments, the trumpet judgments. And then there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We have a couple of different ideas about this. On the one hand, you might say that everyone, the angels, the saints, the martyrs, are holding their breath in anticipation of the next series of judgments on the earth. And also that these angels who are holding back the four winds, preparing for the next onslaught, they have seven trumpets. These seven angels who stand before God were given seven trumpets. Verse 3, another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Uh, quoting from Adam Clark's commentary, he says, On other days, it was the custom of the priest to take fire from the great altar in a silver censer. But on the day of expiation, the high priest took the fire from the great altar in a golden censer. And when he was come down from the great altar, he took incense from one of the priests who bought, brought it to him and went with it to the golden altar. And while he offered the incense, the people prayed without in silence, which is the silence in heaven for half an hour. So this is, a, again, a kind of a sacred moment in heaven. This angel bringing the golden censer with the incense and the prayers of the saints. And one of the prayers was surely that which we read about in chapter 6, verse 10. They cried with a loud voice, the martyrs, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Psalms 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Now, having been a member of the, uh, the Pepsi generation, the uh, 60s, the hippie movement and all that, and flower power, and uh, we used to burn a lot of incense. And if, if you have any experience with incense, you know some of it has a real nice sweet smell, and some of it's pretty stinky. You ever smelled any stinky incense? Not pleasing, unappealing? Well, when you think about our prayers, that they actually go up to the Lord as incense, then we would want to offer up to Him a sweet fragrance, would we not? So let that temper our prayers. Maybe sometimes we go before God, we're kind of gripey, moany, whiny, complainy, right? That probably smells pretty stinky. <laughs> Certainly God wants us to bear our hearts before him, to be open and honest and truthful. But just think about your prayers as a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God, as is our praise, like we had, did praise and worship here this morning. That's a sweet fragrance before the Lord. And so the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Psalm 142, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so why do we sometimes lift our hands when we're worshiping? And you know, that was actually the common posture 
uh, for the Jewish people, you know, we think in prayer more in terms of bowing our heads, even perhaps kneeling. I don't know if we, any of us kneel as often as we should, perhaps. That's a very good, humble posture to take before the Lord, isn't it? But the common posture for prayer and worship for the Jewish people was to look up with hands lifted because God's up there. He dwells in the heavens. And so our lifted hands as the evening prayers. The lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Revelation 5.8, now when he had taken the scroll, this is going back to the beginning where he begins to open the seals, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So even though we pray here and now, probably don't pray as much as we should, that will be a primary task in heaven. We see all of these various groups, the pre-tribulational raptured saints, the martyred saints, the angels, the elders, all there before the throne, offering up prayers before God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, even now, is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us, praying right to the Father on our behalf. And something that hit me last night as I was praying, of course we all know that the Bible tells us that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And as I was praying, I began to actually think of that and see myself right there with Jesus next to the Father. Think of that. Even though we're here on the earth, spiritually speaking, we are right there. Is that amazing or what? Again, because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been clothed in His robes of righteousness. Otherwise, we could not possibly enter into the presence of God. But through the blood of the Lamb, we can. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So, and this, all this is just a precursor to the, the next series of judgments, the trumpet judgments. This is kind of a rattling of cages, if you will, a warning to the inhabitants of the earth in the tribulation. Noises, thunderings, lightnings, an earthquake. There's more coming, folks. That was only round one. The flaming embers, think about this, from the prayers of the saints are now cast down to earth, signifying yet more chaos and destruction upon a wicked world. You might say that one man's praise is another man's punishment. Verse 6, So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So the angels here are gearing up for the next round of judgments. And by the way, the sounding of a trumpet historically has been connected to war, a call to battle. So there is more warfare on the horizon here in the tribulation. And Jesus foretold this in both the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. Mark 13, 7 says, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. So in the midst of all we're seeing right now, I know a lot of people have been troubled, concerned. I mean, we know flat out what happened. We know that the presidential election we just had was illegal. It was fake. It was a fraud. 
It was stolen. We know that, don't we? Anybody with half a brain should know it. And yet, what have we seen? Nothing. Crickets. And every institution in our country that we thought might possibly protect us has failed us. But we're, God is in control. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And Mark says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, we've got those, we've had those, we're going to have more of those. There's a war going on right now. It's a battle, as many have said, of good versus evil. Light versus dark. Truth versus lies. But what does Mark say? Do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. How many of you want to see Jesus face to face? How many of you want to see his millennial kingdom established here on the earth? Then these things must happen. Are you willing to accept whatever must happen in order to see the end game, the fulfillment? Like I said earlier, in the end, we know who wins. God wins, and if you're on God's side, you are a winner. President Trump said, we're going to keep on winning. And in Jesus, we will. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. It is powerful. It's dynamic. Sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between the soul and the spirit, right down to the joints and the marrow. Lord, you are the great physician the great spiritual surgeon. And Lord, you use your word to cut away those things in our hearts and our minds that shouldn't be there. Thank you, God. And your word is also a great weapon for good, for truth, for justice, for mercy, for righteousness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today through your word and helping us to continue to prepare for what you have planned for us, not just in this life, but through all eternity. We do pray, Father God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we look forward to seeing you soon, Lord. We ask you to give us strength, endurance, perseverance, courage, boldness, faith, to stand firm in these last days. Because, Lord, we know as what we have studied and learned and read in your word that from the natural earthly human perspective things are going to get worse before they get better but that's okay because you're on the throne you always will be on the throne and we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus thank you God we're excited Lord thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear that your perfect love casts out all fear we pray for your continued guidance, direction, and wisdom as we walk with you day by day. And we do pray, God, for those near and dear to us, family, friends, neighbors, loved ones, co-workers that don't know you, that you would give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance and draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit, Lord. There's no greater joy than seeing a lost soul found, a dying person brought back to life brought out of darkness into the light. And we saw today, Father, how when even one person 
comes to Christ, all the angels in heaven rejoice. So Lord, we ask you to use us for your glory. Use us to bring as many people as possible into your kingdom before this terrible outpouring of wrath upon an unbelieving world. And before we close, I'm going to ask anyone who needs prayer this morning, raise your hand. God sees your hand right now. I see it. Whatever it might be, whether it's for health, for finances, for relationships, for encouragement, guidance, direction, God's got everything you need. Raise your hand if you'd like prayer this morning. I see those hands. All right, Father, I lift each one up to you now in Jesus' name. You know each heart. You know each mind. That's what's so awesome about you, God. And so even though I don't know what these specific prayer requests are, I've seen their hands. You've seen their hands. You know their hearts. Lord, if they need healing, we ask in Jesus' name that you would bring healing to their physical bodies or to their hearts and their minds. If it's a mental or emotional, spiritual issue, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one. Lord, for those who are struggling economically, whether it's a lost job or loss of income or whatever it might be, that you would help them, encourage them, provide for them, give them wisdom going forward on how to manage their resources, fill them with hope and encouragement. Lord, for those needing wisdom and guidance, that you, would, you promised that you'd give wisdom in the book of James chapter 1 to anyone who asks. Give them wisdom, Father. Give them guidance and direction. Lord, if there are broken relationships, we pray for healing, for reconciliation, and help those here this morning that have raised their hands for an issue of that kind, broken relationships, strained relationships, help them to be peacemakers. Lord, help them to be the first one to reach out and to offer reconciliation, forgiveness. Lord, bless each one. We agree together on these things. We pray for those that aren't here today that are struggling with health issues or other issues that we've talked about. Be with them, pour out your spirit upon them, encourage them. We pray for those who may be watching on the internet that you would hear their cries as well, hear their prayers, Father. Pour out your spirit upon them as well. And we ask now that you receive our final offering of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.